Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek. And I publish and edit uh, theweeklydriver.com since 2004 now. My co-host, Don't forget the name. You almost <laughs> forget out there. I almost forgot the name of my own website. That's Well, that's middle age. Or that's old age, I guess, hitting us. But uh, theweeklydriver.com. And, of course, Bruce is piping up there. That's Bruce Aldrich, uh, my co-host and friend. And uh, today, we do not have a guest, but we have uh, each other. We're going to chat about, it's the holiday season, and the last three-plus years we've been doing our podcast. I bet you we've had 10 authors on by now. And we're going to talk about some books that will be uh, good holiday books, good Christmas Hopefully books. Hopefully they're not turkeys. They're not turkeys. And, and uh, whether you, whatever holiday you celebrate uh, during the holiday season, it, these books are, most of them are coffee table type books. And uh, we're going to go maybe run through a half a dozen today. Uh, and um, one of them is very topical. We don't have it in front of us. Uh, but uh, a while back, we interviewed a man who wrote uh, Killer Airbags. And he is, in 250 pages, it boiled it all down. Basically, what he said is that there were 12 million cars still on the road that are dangerous as hell. And he was a guy who wanted to point this out, and he wrote this book. His name escapes me right now. Bruce, will maybe we'll remember, remember it by the end of the podcast. I don't know. But yesterday, we found out that 7 million uh, GM cars, um, all from the four or five years of uh, dates, Different kinds, uh, pickup trucks, uh, SUVs were all recalled, uh, Takata airbags once again. And now the claim is that once these 6 million, 7 million counting cars outside of the United States have been recalled, that that will be the end of all Takata airbags that are in cars on the road. We'll see. I don't know if that, I read that story two or three places, and whether that's exactly true or not, I don't know. But once well, again, in, in killer airbags, yeah, um, it's practically every car. There was very few. He was able to tell us what what brands, what years that had proper airbags, but most of the cars have these Takatas in them. Yes, you know, to save fifty cents a canister or whatever it costs. The price difference. They right. manufacturers went with the cheap ones. That's true, and they're now bankrupt, and some other Takatas bankrupt, and tech, now yeah. you know GM and. <clears throat> Subaru, you name it, all got, they're holding the bag. That's right. And I think if I read it correctly, the price is going to, the price that it's going to cost GM to rectify the problem and with their fines is one third of their profit for this year. So I can't imagine that's going to make them very happy. happy. (laughs) They're going to be really upset with that. So I wanted to put a little news into our podcast, a little breaking news. It just happened yesterday and it was on all the, major networks and people were commenting on it. So we had that author on um, for Killer Airbag and the guy was, you know, as passionate about his topic as any author I've ever met and we've ever talked to, which kind of brings to the forefront um, the whole idea of writing a book about an automobile or a truck or a series of automobiles or a certain manufacturer of an automobile is people who write these books they take six months of, or a year or whatever it may be, and they just have to painstakingly do the research and have the patience and know what images to use. So I'm, I've always been fascinated by, as someone who is more of a daily journalist, how people stay in focus for six months to write a book about a Volkswagen Beetle or about a supercar or the Boss Mustang or 
a book about a junkyard full of cars. So it's it's always been pretty fascinating it's, to me. It's passion, that's for sure. It's passion. So I thought we'd go through a few of these. Uh, the first one we'd go through is um, a, a book that we have on the top of our stack here. And we talked to the man. He was great. Uh, Russell Hayes. And he wrote his current book. It just came out. It's called Volkswagen um, Beetles to Beetles and Buses, um, Smaller and Smarter. And it's a, a wonderfully researched book with a lot of images about the Volkswagen Beetles and buses. And it was his premise, or one of the premises in the book, that no other car is as varied with its background from Nazi Germany um, to the hippie movement uh, and all in between. So that's, and Bruce, as an owner, we both owned uh, Beetles. You still have your bug. But uh, what did you make of, of Russell Hayes and what he had to say? I thought he was a very interesting guy, and he does know his stuff. And he had, uh, he was open access to all kinds of the archives from VW. Yes. As far as pictures and the old, uh, the old data that he was able to cull through to make a book. Yes. He said that he timed the book. Uh, it was the 75th anniversary of the Beetle and the 70th anniversary of the bus. And he, uh, the, the book is $40, by the way, and it's on Quartro, Q-U-A-R-T-O, Publishing Group. Um, and I'll just read a little bit about what he said. He said, um, no car maker's history is as unique as Volkswagen, its association with the Nazi movement to the hippie generation. And you knew this, but more than 23 million VW Beetles have been manufactured since 1945. The book examines and celebrates all aspects of the vehicles as cultural symbols for more than 70 years. Now, cultural symbols, ain't that the truth? Um, Nothing like an old VW <laughs> bus with a bunch of hippies falling out the back. Or... Right, from Woodstock era. Uh, sure. And then, of course, the dark side is we we know, we both done, remembered or done a little research that um, Hitler made the original cars for his lieutenants, right? Back... Well, they were the people's cars, too. That's they right. Were, they were, supposedly, they were cheap to manufacture and, and to run, so they were supposed to be a people's car for everybody. Right. But that's a good idea. Why not? Sure. Um, they were used during the war, just like our Jeeps, so they have an interesting war history, too. That's right. Um, and then the other part of this book, there's well, there's a lot of parts, but one of them also is that um, plenty, of the, plenty of VW buses and Beetles, or Bugs, have been in movies, and I had forgotten some of these, but... Um, the Love Bug, of course, we know that one. That's Little Miss Sunshine, Footloose, Fight Club, the Big, Le the Big Lebowski, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And they were also uh, on album covers. Um, the Beatles' Abbey Road, there's a Volkswagen on that. And then uh, Bob Dylan's Freewheeling. So, was it the VW that had it? Was it 28 If, the specialized plate on it? Yes, that's right. It I, was on the Bug, yeah. It was on the Bug. Supposedly, I heard the Bug was just uh, just happenstance. But I don't know how it could be happenstance with a, with a plate on it like that. One of those uh, urban legends, right? Yes. How, how that exactly occurred. But um, so the one thing that's missing uh, in the book, well, he kind of future writes um, the plan for the VW Buzz, B-U-Z-Z, -Z, which is going to be an electric version of the iconic microbus. That the, the Combi. Yeah, the Combi. And that's going to be out. Samba. Samba. Transporter. There's a million Perfect. names. Yeah. million names. And that'll be out, <clears throat> pardon me, in 2022. So that's, it's a great book. Uh, if you're into the, you know, the history of Volkswagens on any level, this guy, 
uh, Mr. Hayes doesn't leave out anything. He crosses all the T's and dots all the I's, and it's a it's a, a good... Oh, it's a good picture book, and it's yeah. an easy reading it's, book. It's an easy reading it's book. It's a coffee table book, like you say. Yeah, and it's um, got a real attractive cover on it, and uh, be a great gift. So Well, and it's good for anybody, almost, because who hasn't been in a bug or owns a bug? Perfect. Um, your story, your family story is about sitting in the, le- the cubby hole in the back. I remember you telling yeah, me that. Yeah, back when you were under bo- the rear window. Yeah. Under the rear window when you were a boy with your family towing a, a little trailer. Yeah, we had a trailer hitch on a bug. Doesn't a everybody bug. have a trailer hitch? <laughs> yeah, and, and you're here today. You didn't Up you, over the mountains, you, you know. And you didn't die on the freeway. Year. Oh, my gosh. Um, the second book is, uh, was written by a man named Patrick Foster, and uh, he, he uh, is in love with Jeep. And he's written, like Russell Hayes, he's written this comprehensive book about uh, Jeep, eight decades from Willys to Wrangler. Nice little alliteration there. And that book is available, uh, published by Motor Books, and it's $32.99. And it um, has more than 200 photographs. It's 192. That's the only paperback um, on, on the books that we're going to discuss, I think. And it's quoted as being the definitive book on the greatest four-wheel drive vehicle ever. Of course, Jeep has come back into prominence in recent years with the bigger, uh, what are the names of the ones that we've we've driven? Um, oh, yes, the, 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 the uh, Gladiator. Gladiator. Gladiator is the latest rendition, yeah. yeah. And um, so Mr. Foster has written this book, and he gives, uh, I, I wrote <clears throat> in this column I wrote about it, he gives an insightful account of the stories behind its design and production. The automaker's well-known World War II presence to current models are all covered. Uh, military Jeeps and the pickup market, the new Mark pickup market that it's in. So, uh, Bruce, do you remember talking to this guy about his um, the history? He knew everything he knew about every- the history, yeah. of course. Uh, you know, the Willys Overland connection. Yes. Where they were manufactured. I think even up in Canada they made them That's by right. various manufacturers. Ford made them. And so the war uh, connection is real interesting, at least to me. We used to watch those television programs, right? Did they have? Oh, that's a Rat Patrol. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we both were uh, appreciated the Rat Patrol. Uh, the one thing I I don't think I asked him uh, um, is the year uh, not too many years ago when they went from the nine uh, slots on the grill to seven. Now there's seven on that, and I think I forgot to ask him, and I don't know if you know. Why they did that? Does that come to the forefront of? Nah, I don't recall that. Of course, they had the square headlight years, and that was yes. a big controversy too. Putting, getting away from the round headlights, which of course they've gone back to again. But yes. if you're into Jeep lore, that you know that's a huge controversy there. Just like the slats from seven to nine. Seven to nine, nine to seven. Um, so yeah, all the modern ones are seven, and I don't know why I I it was kind of an important question. I thought I forgot to ask the guy that. And, Oh, well, maybe next time. And uh, another book uh, that um, we have recently, and it's again, it's pretty topical. It's uh, The Complete Book of Corvette. And this one is, um, its, mon- its uh, side title is America's Sports Car, and it's Quartro Publishing again. It's $55, and it's written by Mike Mueller, uh, who we had on as a guest. And it showcases more than 60 years of Corvette history, uh, it was published in cooperation with General Motors, and it's illustrated with 500 colors and black and white photos from the GM archive, which we talked about. It would be cool to, to be, be in to, that archive yeah. and pull out what you wanted to use. Yeah, and so 
uh, like Volkswagen, Corvette, 1953 maybe was the first year, uh, something like that. And all the different, they've had eight generations uh, of the Corvette. And we finally got to drive the, the, the eighth generation. Eighth the C8. generation, the oh, C8. man, what a machine. <clears throat> that was the car of the year, maybe the car of the decade, who knows. But um, some of the modern Corvettes, I, I went on uh, this great website that tells you that the sales of Mustangs, and they had slipped. Like from Corvettes, the Corvettes had slipped in sales from like maybe the high was thirty-seven or thirty-eight thousand a year in the United States, and it was down to like seventeen, eighteen, twenty thousand. And um, then the C8 comes out with the mid-engine, and it's just off the hook, as you would say. Fantastic, beautiful, uh, everything about just it. Drive is, so nice. it just drives so nice. I mean, you feel so like well. you're in a sedan once you're in it. Yeah, and I mean it's it's not rattly, it's not real rough riding. No, uh, it's it's a daily driver. It's it's a it's a good daily driver. Yeah, as a as, as a, well as, as a, a supercar. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the the history of the Corvette, um, you know, America's sports car, America's sports car, Indianapolis 500. Um, you know, its legacy of um, having famous drivers, and now this. I like I said in in my story, I think that this guy covers everything. Every Corvette, except for that, because the book came out before the new generation. He's going to have to have a whole other book, just on the long, uh, long wait for the Corvette to build a mid-engine car, which was people were against it and blah blah blah. Now it's come out and they just nailed it perfectly, and um, it was going to sell out, but then COVID came along, and so it's this weird. Are you, if you if you buy this car, are you going to buy a 2020 and 21 in 2021? Are is the 2021 going to be available in 2022? It stopped production, but they were on their way to breaking all kinds of sales records, uh, and now it's just it's back. I think they're producing them again, but the the way that they're selling them in what months and what years is not the same as it normally is. Remember, we had extensive use of the C8 Corvette, right? And we also had extensive use of the GTR AMG. Yes. And if nor- ordinarily we had the GTR, right, we would have thought it was a fantastic car. Right. And it was $195,000. Yes. But unfortunately for the GTR, we got the Corvette <laughs> first. Thank you. Very well and said, Bruce. And it's $78,000. And both of us just thought the vet just blew it away. Yeah. I uh, it's comfort. Uh, sight lines, uh, the way it handled, the way it drove, the speed of it. Oh, everything. I, it, it just it made that uh, that GTR, that AMG, look like a you know a kid's uh, modified old Ford Falcon with a big motor or something out of it. it I don't think no you just easy. made any too many Mercedes uh, Benz fans. I'm sorry, Mercedes, <laughs> but oh, you no, got to go go, right. go look at a vet before you spend 195 thousand. Go buy go spend go buy two vets. You know the only thing that the vet might have had over the Corvette. The, the only thing that the AMG might have had over the Corvette is that matted sheen, non-sheen, changing oh, it, color. It had the fancy paint job. It had the fancy yeah, paint yeah. job, and it was it's stunning. Spend ninety grand to, to paint your vet any way you right, want. Right, exactly. Um, so anyway, this this Corvette book again. It's um, it's written by uh, Mike Mueller, and it's published by Quattro Quattro Quattro. Uh, publishing group. It's $55. It's well worth 50 and probably less on Amazon. But I uh, recommend that to anybody who, you know, wants to know about history of Corvette, whether you're a Corvette owner or just interested in on any level. It's, it's, um, 
it's automotive art, different from the old uh, wing door era to some of the modern ones that weren't so attractive to now the new one, which we hope he'll do a book on that just by itself. So that was a... Well, it's a good generic book. It's kind of like the Beatles and buses. I mean, everybody's been in one, had one, knows somebody who had one. Yes. It, it, Corvettes, people have either sought after them or they like them, they hate them. It's, All of that. You know, it's a it's a book that anybody who likes cars would like. Sure, and it it reminded me, of course, of our our friend who passed a number of years ago, who had a you know finally got his uh, dream car, uh, Greg Soderlund, and he had the C O six, I think. Yeah, it was a C seven or C7? no, it was a six. Six. It was a six. And I only was in it one time, and I wasn't too fond of that car. Yeah. <laughs> Rough riding, yeah. noisy, rattly. Your, your uh, knees were in your you chest. Can't see out the front hardly. Yeah, it's he loved just, it, yeah. and he and it was good for him. It's great. He he went out and bought that car, and um, I'll remember him for many reasons. But he loved that Corvette that he had, and they would take it to the Monterey Peninsula, and, and uh, he just um, was enamored by it. And I think that's it's great. I wouldn't have if somebody gave me that car, I would sell it. But well, the new dual, dual clutches—you don't have to shift them either. That's right. Um, in, you can with the paddle shifters, but you don't need to be stern, rocking and rolling with your right hand. No. Um, so in front of us, uh, Bruce, we have an—I uh, mentioned the Volkswagen uh, book. We have that on a stack in front of us. But then we have several other books. Um, the bottom is a book called Junkyard, and we had uh, one of the authors on um, months ago. And this book uh, is a book about an L.A. area uh, collection of cars that was out in a field uh, and in, and in uh, different places in, in um, barns and in other buildings. And they didn't even really know how far it extended. They, the thing was under lock and key for years. Finally, these two guys got permission from, they were, they were European guys, and they got permission to go into this area, and they found supercars stacked on each other, right? Four or five stacked up, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini. They found crap cars, but they found some really unusual uh, cars, and these, the photographer and the author, the, the band who wrote the, the text, got together and collaborated on this book. And it's just a fascinating look at this place in Los Angeles that kind of had gotten this mythical reputation of, will anybody be able to go in there and find out what cars are there? This guy just collected old cars. Yeah, it turns he was eccentric. Out that, that, that several of them were, you know, unique uh, one-off cars or a car that they only made five of. Yes. And that type of thing. It's called Behind the Gates at California's Secret Secretive European Car Salvage Yard. Right. Brooke, Brooke, uh, Bruce, on the back of that, or does it say the price and, and the publisher in the lower left or anything, that um, what the price on that one is? 40 bucks U.S. 40 bucks U.S. And it's the, the cover photo is this patinaed, uh, is that a Porsche on the front? Yeah, old yeah. 356. 356. And so the, it's, it's got... motor books. Motor books. And it's got this great... Uh, look to the the cover of the book and as well as the pictures of if you're an artist you don't have to be an artist of, who appreciates cars you just have to be an artist to look at some of the the choices of photography that this book incorporates and so if you're into uh you know the old term of uh, um barn finds this is a junkyard and they found they haven't even discovered all the, the cars the mother load yeah i the mean mother, there's, yeah. there's ferrari there's uh there's everything in there french Yes. As well as Porsches, hundreds and hundreds of Porsches. And and so, as it, if I remember correctly, the, the 
the man passed away, but his two sons or one of his sons is slowly selling some of the cars. They've done it bit by bit or a few cars at a time, I should say. Yeah. And it's I don't know if he can get into the place now or not, but it would be fun to go to L.A. and take a look. So this one again is um, Junkyard behind the gates at California's secretive European car salvage yard. So that's another one. Um, then we have um, Bruce, the one that you know that you know a lot about. I don't know very much about it. Is the is don't the boss? Don't yourself. <laughs> I almost hurt myself there. It's um, the boss Mustang, fifty years. So you take it away with that one, if you remember much about that one. And, and uh, that's kind of in your world. You like you like performance cars. You know about the Mustang. What's what's the boss Mustang? Why why should people care about a boss Mustang? Factory hot rod. Thank you. That's it. Was there? One that they sought after, that's their, their mark vehicle to showcase the, the Ford Mustang, if not the whole Ford line. Yeah. Why did they call it the Boss? Have to look that up. <laughs> Great. Um, and it's uh, another one of these coffee table books that the author, you know, people sit down. And I, it just fascinates me how the people would have the patience and the... Uh, you know, I think of people putting three by five cards on bulletin boards and staring at them for months and say, okay, what am I going to include? What am I not going to include? How many images am I going to look through to find 200, 300, 400 images to include in a book? Photographers just thrive on that kind of stuff, but I don't know if I could ever do it. Uh, but this is another one that if you're in a specialty, if, you've, if you know somebody, if you've had a Mustang, um, again, it came out in what the first one was 64. They called it the 64 and a half Mustang. Right. So that's what they didn't have a boss that year. It, so, no, but so we have another car that we've talked about that just has this iconic past. There's been all kinds of them, good and bad and indifferent. And so, if you're a Mustang person, or maybe you have a friend, or maybe your dad or your big brother had a, a Mustang, this is a good book that um, Mr. Farr wrote, and it just takes you through the, the, the niche of. The Boss Mustang and 50 years of it. Well, Mustang, the Boss came out, and it was for uh, SCCA Racing Trans Am Series. And uh, so that was their factory hot rod. And then they had Carroll Shelby, of course, yes. modified. So they had, like, two lines of uh, of their hopped-up cars. Okay, and, of course, Shelby was the... the Shelby's a whole other book. Right, that's another book. Or maybe there's been many, maybe... A few books written about Carroll Shelby. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we, of course, we had the movie that was Ford versus Ferrari that brought him back into the, uh, the, the mainstream. So I guess what we're saying is that um, during the holidays, if you're stuck for a gift, um, you know, there's hundreds of books. Many of them, of course, are, are uh, niche audience books. They're all mostly on Amazon. Some of them have specialty publishers. Motor Books is one, a specialty um, uh, to coffee table size uh, uh, publishing house for books. So, um, what an idea! You want you don't you're stuck for a gift, and you know somebody. Almost everybody has a car. Every almost everybody has a car that has a backstory. So um, that's our program today to cover um, holiday books. Um, and um, you can leave them on your coffee table, and you can go back to them all the time. So consider a book. It's a good. Good thing to pass around. Good thing to pass around. Pass around to your buddies. Talk about it over a beer, a cup of coffee. And uh, it's just uh, another thing that um, I wouldn't have thought of. But holiday season, I'm probably going to buy a book or two for a friend. Who knows? So thanks again for 
joining us on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Please make sure to sign up for our podcast. It's available on all of the major podcast outlets. And uh, please visit my website, theweeklydriver.com. Everybody have a nice Thanksgiving. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next week.